The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Happy Easter. Again, this is this is the morning that we get to celebrate the fact that Jesus lives. Amen. That he died, but he is not dead. That he gave his life, but he picked it back up again. We celebrate that this morning. And what we're going to see is that everything hinges on that. Everything. Um, typically, as a church, what we typically do is walk through books of the Bible together uh, pretty slowly, verse by verse, kind of just work through books. Um, and uh, we've been working through First uh, Timothy. We've made it through a couple chapters, and uh, we're going to pick right back up with that next week. But a few weeks ago, we did something a little bit uh, different. We pushed pause. And what we tried to do is uh, zoom out, pause to zoom out. And what, we, what we've really attempted to see is that this right here is one story. Uh, in other words, this isn't just a collection of a lot of stories. Uh, this is, in fact, one unfolding story. From, from Genesis to Revelation, it's un one unfolding story. And so over the, last, the past two weeks, we've, we've really looked at and started to look at this, this beautiful story. Now, obviously, this is a big book. And... Uh, you know, I might preach for a long time, but I don't preach that long. So zooming out like we're doing is, is going to be tough. It, it, it is. Um, but it's so important because, listen, if we fail to see how this is a bigger story, if we fail to see that this is God's big story unfolding, if we fail to see that, we're going to fail to see the big story behind all this. We're going to fail to see even our purpose in this, fail to see how we even fit in this. And this is so important that we're able to zoom out. And um, I'm not going to go back much because we got a lot of ground to cover. But uh, we have, what we've tried to do is divide this big, beautiful story into three parts. And uh, we, we've looked at it like this, part one being in the beginning. In the beginning, God created. This is our origin, where we came from, how it started. Uh, scripture tells us that in the beginning, God created everything out of nothing, and it was good, really good, awesome, okay? That's in the beginning, part one. It started very good. Everything, think about it like this. Everything that God created functioned exactly how God created it to function. Can you imagine a world like that? Like, that's just incredible. There was peace, shalom. There were no wars, no pain, no suffering, no thorns, no allergies, no brokenness, no violence, no disasters, nothing. Everything functioned the way God designed it. It was good, and this is how it began. In the beginning, God created, and it was good. Then what we saw is in our story, there was a transition moment that, that took place, um, this trans transition moment in Genesis 3 that we call the fall. What we see in Genesis 3 is that the man and the woman, they choose not to listen to God. 
craziness. They, they choose to question his, God's word, his character, go their own way, and to believe the lie that they know better than God. The fall, Genesis 3. And in this moment, um, sin enters and just wrecks everything. And all of a sudden now, we have strife and we have thorns. And um, I, I like to think that this is where oak allergies find their origin. Right there. Genesis 3, that's where it happened. That's where it started. We see here pain now, sickness now, strife and war. See murder, we see this is where it all began. This is the moment, again, we call it the fall, but this is the moment where the man and the woman were removed from the presence of God, which is probably the, most, the biggest disaster of it all. That moment changed everything. And uh, the world that you and I know today the world that fills your newsfeed today, that's where it started. That's its origin. And along with that, though, something else began to come into the picture because Scripture tells us that God has a plan from the beginning of creation, and right there in this moment of tragedy, God's plan begins to take picture. And all of a sudden, Whereas part one is the story of creation, it shifts us into part two, which is God's beautiful plan of redemption and recreation. Um, the fact is God doesn't leave us in our sin and death. He could have. He would have been just to do that, but he didn't. Um, he has mercy and grace and, and scripture, uh, Genesis 3 through Revelation. Um, that's basically this whole thing, Okay. Scripture tells us of this plan of redemption. We have God calling a people, Abraham, Moses, the law, the kings, the prophets, the, the, the entire New Testament revealing this plan that the Messiah is coming. And then in the perfect moment, we know Jesus is born. Jesus is born. God steps into his creation in order to save his creation. The Bible shows us that Jesus lives the perfect life. The life that you and I could not live. That Jesus dies a sinner's death, the death that you and I deserve, and, and that what this morning is all about, that Jesus rose, rose from the dead. He was dead and buried for three days, but the grave could not hold him because death had no claim on him. He's the only one in history who has ever had to borrow a tomb. On the third day, he rose. And please understand, when I say this, I want you to feel the gravity of this, I'm not just talking about a spiritual resurrection here. I'm talking about a bodily, physical, if you touch your, the skin on your hand, I'm talking about that, physical, bodily resurrection. Scripture and history shows us that hundreds of people Take this in. Hundreds of people witness Jesus after he rose. If you take in that fact, listen, I know that so much of the Christian life hinges on faith, like believing what we cannot see yet. But I got to tell you, our faith is not a shot in the dark kind of, uh, of faith. Our faith is not a blind faith. Church, don't miss this. Our faith is founded on this incredible historical event. 
the literal, historical miracle of Christ's physical resurrection, and everything hinges on this. Everything. Um, Our text this morning is going to be 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, you can grab them, you can turn with me here. Although I do have two warnings with this, I'm going to be moving a lot quicker than I normally do. So pardon me for that. And also, I'm going to be jumping around a bit more than I normally do, so let's buckle up together. Um, But I'm real amped up, real excited, so you're just going to have to come with me this morning. But what we're going to try to do now is we are going to now turn the corner and look toward part three. Look toward part three. And I want to start right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians uh, 15. I want, to, I want to start right there as, as Paul says this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, Paul says, at the time of writing this, you can go ask them, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Paul says, this is the gospel of first, of primary importance. Everything hinges on this. Part two of this incredible story is God's plan of salvation through Christ And this is where we find ourselves today. This is where we are in this story uh, today. Um, This is the call for us today. No matter who you are, no matter what brings you into this place, into this room, no matter your background, our call is to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. We are saved by grace through faith, Alone, And the work of Christ is this beautiful exchange where Christ takes all of your sin on his shoulders and gives you all of his righteousness. He takes your sin, you get his righteousness so that now, please don't miss this, so that now when our perfect and holy God looks at you, he does not see your sin He does not see your mistakes. He does not see your rebellion. He doesn't see all the times you fall short of the glory of God. He, he, no. Now through Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now through Christ, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. And this is incredibly good news. And, And before we go further, before we even go any further, before we even talk about part three of this story, listen, we can know this salvation. We can know Christ. We can know that we are his through faith. 
Scripture says this in Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Meaning you can know that today. You can trust, you can trust that today. No matter who you are. Paul in Ephesians 2 says it like this. And you were dead in the trespasses in sin, in sins in which you once walked. Dead. He goes on to say, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that don't you dare boast about it. Our boast is in Christ. This is the gospel. This is the beautiful plan of part two of our story. And if you are here and you do not know this, if you are here and you do not yet believe who Jesus is and what he has done, Maybe you're here and uh, you have been kind of closely, close in proximity to Christian things all your life, been culturally Christian. Maybe you've hung around, you've heard this stuff, but, but it's never sunk in and you can't say that you fully believe it. Maybe you're here and you have just let, lived the most distracted life you can possibly live and things have just been happening and you haven't really thought about it. You've not yet responded to the gospel of Christ. If that is you, listen, if you do not trust Christ, let this Easter be the moment when you stop. Amen. When you stop and when you respond to the gospel and trust in Christ alone. I don't believe that we are here together by accident this morning. I don't believe. And I pray that this is the Easter when you trust Christ and know that you are in Christ and that you are his. I pray that this Easter would be the Easter you look back on, that, that crazy moment when you responded to the gospel. You were made alive. Because this is the truth of what Jesus has done. But listen, I could spend all day here, but we're looking to part three. Listen, um, here's the crazy thing. As good as that is, everything I just said, as good as that is, and it is good, our story doesn't end here. Um, there's a third part to this story. This morning, this Easter, we get the joy of looking ahead. We, we get the joy of looking ahead, and we get the joy of knowing and talking about how this story ends. Um, and as I was preparing for this, as I was praying for this, and listen, my concern grew that we just don't talk about what we're about to talk about enough. Um, I'm concerned we don't think about it enough. What I'm concerned about, and this is going to sound weird, is that we live our entire Christian life and our understanding of the gospel, I think, is stuck sometimes in part two. Often, too often, it ends. I guess that's a better way to say it, in part two. Let me show you what I mean. Um, I want you to pretend, uh, just pretend for a moment that you're sharing with a friend that you've, you love and you've been praying for, you're sharing with a friend the good news of Jesus. You could tell them, 
God created the world out of nothing. It was good. You could tell them that we've all sinned, that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, right? You could tell them that. You could tell them that the wages of that sin is death and, and that there is a separation now between you as a sinner and our holy God. You could tell them that because that's what sin does, separates, right? You could tell them that you could then even tell them, John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You could tell them that. You could tell them that God demonstrated his great love for them, that while they were dead in their sins, Christ came. Romans 5, 8, you could tell them that. You could tell them that they can be saved, forgiven of their sin. I put it up here already, but if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you can be, you will be saved, right? You could tell them that, and there's so much good news here. You could tell them you can be justified before God, forgiven. You could tell them that. You could tell them that Jesus is then going to walk with you and, and sanctify you. You could tell them that. Again, good news. Here's the thing. You could even tell them that when they die, they don't have to fear death. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, that says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we will be with Christ. Heaven is prepared for those who are in Christ. You could tell them that. You could tell them that. And that's incredible, right? Incredible news. Here's the thing, though. In, uh, in many ways, everything I just shared, we're still in part two. And uh, I don't want you to hear me wrong. Everything I just shared, if you share that with your neighbor... Fist bump, let's do it. Like, that's the gospel, it's good news. It's all true, it's all good. Share that. Um, what I'm saying, though, is, is it actually gets even better. The news actually just gets even, even better. So Easter morning, this is Resurrection Sunday, and on this morning, we look back to the resurrection of Jesus, who, who, knowing that Jesus rose, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, we have that text that says, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Praise the Lord for that. We look back and we praise the Lord for Christ. We praise God that he is alive. We praise God he has conquered sin and death so that we can know him, be forgiven and saved. We look back this morning and, and we, we know that Christ is alive, seated on his throne, interceding for us. All really good news, but here's the thing. Church, it gets better. The news somehow gets better because this Easter, not only do we look back on what Christ has done, but because Christ is alive, because he rose from the dead, because of that, church, we also look forward. We get to look forward. Um, there's a text here. You don't have to turn with me. I said, I warned you I'm going to be bouncing, and I'm kind of vamped up, so just follow me here. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, he's talking to a church and comforting them as they're dealing with death, and he, and he says this, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those, those who have died, those who have passed away, that you may not grieve as others do who do not have hope. And I want you to listen to how Paul describes the hope we have. For since we believe that Christ died and rose again, this is looking back to the resurrection as we've done, looking back. Since that is true, he says, even so through Christ, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
For this we declare to you by a word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Listen to this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and take this in. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Church, that is resurrection. Not only Christ's resurrection. That's our resurrection, like him. It says this, then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds, meet him in the air, so that we will be always with the Lord. That's awesome. Then Paul says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Yeah, that's encouraging. How about that for some encouragement? Because listen, um, here's what I want you to get. So the gospel is not, the good news of Jesus is not just that God wants to save you when you die and uh, take you up to heaven spiritually and so you can be with him spiritually. That's not all. The gospel is that God has saved you and in Christ you do go with him in heaven when you die, praise God. And on that day, On that day, Christ will return, and just as Christ rose, we will rise with him, like him, not just spiritually. Let's do this again. We're talking this again. Physically, literally, bodily, like Jesus. There is a part three coming in our story. There's a part three coming, and why does it matter? Why does it matter that we see this? I mean, we're living here. Why does it matter? Listen, God's plan was not just to create everything in the beginning. It is good, part one, right? And then for sin to pop in the picture and blow that up. And then part two, God just wants to take all his people out of this madness. That's not the gospel. That's not the big story. Um, That's not it. No, church, God's plan is to restore what was lost. To reconcile what was lost. To restore what was broken. To to fix what was broken. Um, In other words, our story begins on page one. It's always hard to get to page one in your Bible. It may just be me. Okay, page one. There it is. Page one of my Bible of your Bible too, starts with in the beginning, in a garden, and it was good. Okay? Um, Our story ends. In my Bible, it's page 1,770 in my copy of the Bible. It ends not in a city, or not in a garden, but in a city. And, And it ends again in goodness. It ends again in shalom, a physical and real city. It ends in a city just as real as this city is today. It ends, it started in a garden and it was good. It ends in a city and it is good. There is restoration. And I want you to listen to what this city is like. In Revelation, we get a picture of what this city looks like. 
Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven, first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, the dwelling place of God is with man. Sounds like the garden, doesn't it? He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Oh, and take this in. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, that's Jesus, says, Behold, I am making all things new. All things new. See, church, our story's final part, part three, it ends with the city, and it is good again. It is good again. Our story does not end in death because Christ's story does not end in death. Our, now in Christ, your story, it doesn't end in death. Our story is life. And listen, uh, the, the Christian faith is centered on the resurrection. I want you to hear me. This is not an optional part of what it means to be a Christian. This is not optional. The Christian life, the whole story, but especially part three, is centered on the resurrection. I want to come back to our text. First Corinthians together. Um, we'll skip ahead to verse 13. This is Paul writing to an ancient church, by the way, who's struggling to understand this, just as much as maybe we are together today. What is the resurrection? How does it work? This church is wrestling with that too, and Paul is going to give them a handful of uh, resurrection if-then statements. And uh, I want to read them. And I just want us to take this in in light of the big story. I'm going to put it all on the screen. It's going to be a lot of words. Trust me, we're going to be okay. Um, and I want to show you these, these if-then statements that we see here in this text. But if there is no resurrection, if-then statement number one, then not even Christ has been raised. If-then statement number two, and if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. That's a huge statement. If no resurrection, let's go home. What are we doing here? Let's go home. It's all in vain. That's how central this is. He says, we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified that God had raised Christ. And he didn't if it's not true that the dead are not raised. But then listen to, he's going to shift back into the if-then statements. He's already given us two. Let's get our final four. Number three, which is kind of a restatement of the first one. I'm going to count it anyway. Number three, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Number four, if-then number four. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Number five, if then number five, Christ hasn't been raised, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If then statement number six, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are of all people most to be pitied. Okay, 
we put all this together. If there's no resurrection, then Christ hasn't been raised. If Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is in vain. You're dead in your sin, and all those who have died had died in their sin, meaning there's no hope in death. And if there's no hope in death, we of all people on the planet are the most to be pitied. That's how central resurrection is to our faith, church. That's how central it is. There is this is a fundamental issue in our faith. Our belief in the physical, bodily resurrection is not optional, church. Without it, we of all people are most to be pitied. Here's what this means. We as the church today need to make sure that we don't make the gospel less than what it is. Here's what I mean. Um, we can't afford to make Christianity some nothing more than a set of like good behavior, good morals. Um, we can't afford to make Christian preaching just a bunch of motivational speak, speeches and TED Talks. We can't afford that. We can't afford Christian preaching to just become how to live your best life and have your best marriage now and yay. We can't afford this. We cannot afford to make Christianity some kind of self-help project. We cannot afford this. We cannot afford even to treat Christianity as some kind of fire insurance policy that you say the prayer, do your thing, but you say the prayer so that when you die, you're covered. We cannot afford to make Christianity out to be this church. None of that is Christianity. None of that is what it means to put our faith in Christ. In fact... Christianity asks of you one fundamental question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? Because our faith is in the resurrected Christ who will resurrect me on that day and who will make all things new who will restore all that was lost in the fall and sin, who will bring justice and peace and wholeness, who will put an end to all the suffering and sin. Our faith is in Christ who rose from the dead, and in Christ we will raise. This is central to the gospel. Our faith hinges on this, and so do you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? The dead. Listen, I want to cut right to it. In a secular world, um, my fear is that our churches are becoming increasingly secular. I'm, I'm afraid, and my concern is that Christians are becoming increasingly secular as well. Um, there was a huge book that was written in uh, 2005, which is a different world ago, I know. But this book has stood the test of time. It's a book uh, by a sociologist named Christian Smith. And it was a book called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. What this book did is it surveyed an insanely large group of Christian teenagers. Um, huge study. Again, this has become a landmark book that has stood the test of time. And in his study, he noticed something um, so prevalent that he coined a term for it. Um, again, we're talking about Christian youth, like youth in the American church, and he noticed that they seemed to be united in a very unique belief system when it came to God. 
And again, he coined a term for it, and the term he coined for it is a nasty little term, moralistic therapeutic deism. <clears throat> again, American youth in the church. Um, and what he did is he noticed that in his surveys that there was five key tenets that these young people seem to share in common. Five things that they believed about God, and it linked them together, and it shared, they shared this commonality, so much so that he coined this nasty little term. And I'm going I'm to load the screen. He said, this term really boils down to five tenets. I'm going to put them on the screen, and I just want us to take them in. Here we go. Tenet number one. There's a belief that God exists, and he created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Awesome. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. There's the moralistic part. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy, to feel good about oneself. There's the therapeutic. Number four, uh, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve one of those nasty little problems that we face. There's the deistic part. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Okay? This is moralistic, therapeutic deism. And this is an incomplete and resurrectionless gospel. This, to put it more bluntly, is not the gospel. The resurrection of Jesus does not let this stand. Church, in a culture like we have, it may be comfortable, more comfortable to talk about, you know, life hacks and life principles and best life now kind of stuff and self-help kind of stuff than it is to get into this nasty resurrection kind of stuff. But listen, Christianity without the resurrection is not Christianity. It's not put it differently. I want you to take all this in. If this is what we have, if your belief in God, and I don't want to belittle this, if you, were, if you read this and you're like, yeah, you kind of nailed it. If that's you, if this is what we believe this morning. Uh, uh, if all we have is this, if moralistic therapeutic deism is what we have, I want to use Paul's words, we of all people on this earth are to be pitied. We of all people are to be pitied, and um, we should go home. Um, praise God. Our gospel is so much more than that. And now, yes, amen. God exists, created, and uh, um, amen. He, I mean, he desires his, you know, people to be good. He's good, so he desires that. Yes, amen. Um, but I got to tell you, the, the, the goal of life, this whole story, it does not center around your happiness. Um, you don't want that. You can't handle that. It centers around the glory of God alone. He doesn't share that. Um, come on now. Our God is intimately involved in his creation. Scripture says he holds it all together. And by the way, yes, amen. I mean, when, when people die, I mean, in Christ, you're with God, heaven in his presence, but that's not the end of the story because God doesn't just want to take you out of heaven and remove you from the brokenness. You know, God's plan is to defeat the brokenness, to restore what is broken and lost. He doesn't just want to take you out of heaven. He's going to mend what is broken, redeem all of creation, and to establish shalom again. 
Church, do not stop in part two. God's plan has a third part. And that third part is resurrection. My hope, my prayer this morning is that we would wrap our minds around the fullness of the gospel. That, that we would not settle for life principles or morals or life hacks or self-help or even settle for the fact that, okay, I'm good. When I die, I'll go to heaven. But that we would be a people who know and who stand on the fact that our God is making all things new. That there will be perfect justice and that one day we will rise like Christ. That not only are you justified and forgiven and adopted and sanctified, praise God for those things, but that one day in Christ you will be resurrected and glorified because he lives. Because he lives. Our story doesn't end in part two. It ends in Revelation 21 with an eternal arrow that keeps going. It ends in Revelation 21 when the dwelling place of God is with man again. That we're his people and we are with God. It it ends when our living Christ return and the dead in Christ will rise. It ends in this moment when every tear from every eye is wiped away and death is no more. No crying, no mourning, no pain, no suffering. The former is gone. That's the end of our story. Christ is making all things new. And resurrection is all about God making all things new. All about God making all things new. Christ rose from the dead, and one day, by grace through faith, we will rise like Christ. Here in a moment, we are going to celebrate baptisms. And there is no better way to celebrate what we are talking about than the symbol that we have of baptism. As we go down into the water, we remember Christ's death, and we remember that that we are crucified with Christ, and that that dead man is dead and buried. And as we come out of the water, we remember Christ rose. We remember Christ rose, and we're reminded that we are a new creation, raised to walk in newness of life. We remember that, but don't miss this. We also are reminded and pointed forward to that day, church, when we will rise like him and with him. This is our story because it is his story, and today we can live our life knowing the end of the story. We can live our lives in light of the end of the story. Think about this, church. Because he lives... We know what happens in part three. How cool is that? So brothers, sisters, friends, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives.